Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann, what are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about giving up control, Dave. It's all yours. <laughs> well, <laughs> and now I don't know what to say because you always have the second lion. You're changing everything on me, Dave. Well, no, the last show, I mean, wait, wait, wait. The last show you asked me to change. Be careful what you wish for. It's true. It's true. It's been a curse all my life. <sighs> but giving up control is important. <laughs> if we're thinking of getting people on our sides, getting people to follow our, our leadership, getting people to listen to the things we're trying to persuade them on, being able to give them a sense of control is really important. Well, you know, I find something really interesting in, in what you just said, because you actually switched gears a little bit. Ooh, I hate it when I do that. Yeah, because you said giving up control, and then you said giving people a sense of control. And those are not necessarily the same thing. Fair. All right, I'm going to take control from here on, because you have that <laughs> blank look in your eyes. Like, where do I go from here? Uh... <laughs> so... How does one take control in a sales situation? How does one take control? Right. In other words, if let's say you're the prospect, I'm the salesperson, and I want to control this conversation. What's the best way to do that? I would say by asking the questions. And I would say you're absolutely correct. I win! Episode there's, over! Okay, there's confetti coming down, folks, <laughs> right? But that's really important. I know Darren and I have talked about that in the past, right? But if you want to control a conversation, ask questions because you, you're driving the direction of the conversation. And, and this is why I said, right? The, the appearance of having control versus taking control. You're in control. But from the prospect's perception, they're giving, they're providing all the answers that you need to, for them to get what they want, who do they think is in control? They think they're in control. Right. Right. The reality is they're not. Well, but in a way you are by asking the questions, giving up a little bit of control, or some people may perceive that they're giving up a little bit of control in the situation because they're not driving the narrative. Now, I agree with you that by asking the questions and by driving the direction of the conversation, you actually have more control. But some people may think, because I'm not telling you about my programs, because I'm not telling you what you need to do, I'm not controlling the situation. You're correct. That is the perception that we're playing on. Right. And that's why, again, I said, you said giving up control and then you said the appearance, or I can't remember your exact words, mm -hmm. of control, right? And and you've just you've nailed it on the head. So it's it really is counterintuitive. If I'm asking questions, then it appears I'm giving it up. And the thing that people need to realize, who and I'm sure many of our listeners are just nodding their head right now, going, "Yep, I know this." Right? This is this is this is this is, this is nothing new. We're not presenting anything that hasn't been around for a while. 
And if you're not nodding your head, what I, I submit is that by asking questions, you actually guide where the answers are going. And at the same time, remember, we're not talking about persuasion from a manipulative perspective. And that's really important. So if somebody's answers lead you to the conclusion that your solution is not the right solution, that's a good thing. Right. Right. And again, you're giving them control literally of the process and you're giving them the honest answers and the real truth so that they can make that decision for themselves, which is ultimately control. Yeah. Although I'm not quite sure you're really not giving them control of the process. You're really not because you're asking the questions like the, the, my process. My, well, right. Whether right. they participate in the process. <laughs> sure. And I've had people who, you know, the curt one word answers, you know, they're real short and, and we would definitely want to move to how to deal, right? Because people are going to deal with that differently depending on their personality style. And at the same time, um, it's a way of maintaining control and giving up the perception of having control. Right. All right. Well, the, and the, and the reason this is so important is there is a base need for us humans to have some control in our situation, to not feel like a victim all the time, to not feel like we don't have any say and what we do doesn't matter. You know, if we feel like what we're doing matters, that we're being heard, that, you know, that we have some impact on what's going on around us, we're much more likely to participate in that process, whatever's going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When we lose control or, or perceive that we've lost control, and, and the reality is, wow, I'm just sorry, I'm, I'm planning on going really philosophical here. Uh-oh. We're never out of control. And we're never really in control, are we? No, that is absolutely correct. Both of those statements are simultaneously true. We have 100% control of how we react to our situations, and we have no control over the situations themselves. As the last two years have taught us oh so well. Hopefully we've learned that lesson. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I do too. But that's a whole other podcast. Right. But it is really important. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So bringing this thing back because, wow, um, we just like sidestepped a rabbit hole that was deep. Um, but bringing this back to, you know, persuasion. So there's other ways of giving up control, by the way, besides just asking questions. And especially in leadership, although this, we, and we've talked about this before in sales, you know, and one of the best ways I find is to delegate. Mm, yes. You cannot be afraid of asking other people to do something. It's super important for so many reasons. Well, why don't we list them off? Well, first of all, Dave, you can't do it all because you'll end up bald like you are. You rip your hair out because spreading out the work, maybe even taking advantage of other people's skills and strengths can help you get more done in less time. Yeah, and so more importantly than you can't do it all, and you can't and grow your business, irrespective of you know whether you are at the top of the food chain, you're the company owner, or you're a manager within it, 
your career, your department, you're not going to grow that by yourself. We are pack animals. We are social creatures. By design, we work together as teams. Period. The lone wolf does not survive long. And if we accept that, we're ahead of the game. If we fight that, well, it's a losing proposition. No matter how strong, tough, and bad you are, you're going to limit your size of growth. And for the record, I didn't pull my own hair out. I'm not an idiot. (laughs) I bet you were just super frustrated, Dave. (laughs) Those are not mutually exclusive, but it didn't cause me to pull my hair out. That wasn't it. Nope, nope. Nah, this was God's. This was God's design. Okay, he's like, we need to see that gorgeous scalp. Anyway, another reason we delegate is because we want to develop our teams. We want to help them learn and grow and get better at tasks they haven't done before. And to me, that's the most important. Our job as leaders is growing people, right? So. Uh, Our job is to grow people and allow them to bloom and come into their own, become self-actualized and and become rewarded by what they do. And I don't mean financially rewarded. That will come as well. But I mean, be emotionally, mentally. Intrinsically. Intrinsically rewarded. Great word. I'm big on big words. Yeah. I've noticed that about you. (laughs) Um, But right, to become rewarded by what we do. And, and, And if we can develop our people that way, then our, first of all, our rewards are, are just tremendous. There's there's nothing feels better than watching people succeed that you've mm-hmm. uh, mentored and helped and coached. And guess what, folks? You're going to also succeed because as the team goes, the leader goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As your team grows, you grow. So all of that, like delegation, so important. And yet it's so hard because we have to let go of control. Absolutely. And so there are great ways for delegating. Um, you know, in my book, I talk about being on mission, right? And it's a mnemonic I developed to help people understand how, um, how to delegate properly. And the, the key to delegation is balancing control and lack of control. The, the, the lack of control is you need to let people don't, we, you cannot tell people really specifically how to do it. You need to be really clear on what success looks like. What does, the, what does the outcome you're looking for look like? But if you tell them how to do it, what you've really done is created a voice activated robot and nobody learns. Now, doesn't mean you don't give them tips and hints. And if they've never used the computer system before that you don't show them how to do it. But to a degree, once we start telling people how they're going to complete certain tasks, we're micromanaging. And so you've got to balance that as well, is what information do they need to be successful? And at what point am I getting a little too deep into controlling it so that they do it the way we want it to be done? Right. And so what you want to do is have, um, one, be really clear on what the mission is, Be, be really clear on what the end game looks like. And then make sure they're aware of all the resources available to them. And, and I tell the story all the time um, that when I was active duty on my second deployment, the uh, air wing commander, so my boss was the commanding officer of my squadron, we called the skipper. His boss, who was in charge of the nine squadrons on board the aircraft carrier, 
He called me into his office one day, and I'm like, wow, I, I didn't do anything wrong. What am I going to see the principal? You know, no, I, I flew with the guy. I mean, I didn't know what was up, but, you know, it wasn't like that. And and uh, we had a giant exercise, and he wanted me to plan the air wing exercise. And I thought that was phenomenal. Delegation. It was delegation. Having never done that before, there were things that were all around me on an aircraft carrier that I, like, for example, we wanted to get a specific mix of aircraft on the flight deck to run this exercise. Once we developed the plan, it's like, I needed, you know, I don't need these, I need these. And they run typically. So you have to do the elevator run. You've all seen in the movies, the giant elevators, the aircraft go up from the, right. This is not press the button, walk on, get in there, you know, you know, say hi to somebody or ignore somebody, right, type of elevator. There are certain sea states where that can't happen or certain times of day. There's a lot. You're talking about a big chunk of real estate off the flight deck that disappears when it goes down. And that, you're right. So there's a lot coordinated to, I had no idea. And so I had to get with the deck department and, you know, to figure out when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. Now you have all these aircraft in the hangar bay that may not be in the right position to, that you need them on the elevator, but they're being blocked in, right? So you can imagine this becomes this logistics nightmare. Then no what? wonder he delegated it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they clearly knew how to do it, right? But his job was to see that if I stayed in the Navy and got promoted and continued on, that I would understand how to do it because there might be a day where I was ops officer of a air wing or an air wing commander myself. I needed to know these things. And same with weapons, right? What's the weapon mix we want? How do we get it from the magazines, which are in the bowels of the ship where they're protected from going boom when they're not supposed to and doing damage to the ship up onto the flight deck where they could get onto the aircraft where they could go boom where they are supposed to, you know? And, and so again, I don't want to bore with all this technical stuff that I don't really remember from 30 years ago. My point here is that he provided me those resources, who I needed to talk to. He pointed me in the right direction, but he didn't tell me what to do. And he probably made himself available as needed along the way as well. Well, funny you should say that because one of the things you, uh, you, I talked about is you need to have periodic check-ins, right? I, I think I had a week or 10 days to plan this thing out and we would meet every day and he'd, where are you? What's the next steps? What are you planning on doing next? So he had time to give me course corrections if I started going in the wrong direction or what in this case it was more like I was overlooking a step that I hadn't thought about, mm-hmm. you know. And, what, yeah. And going back to our original discussion of control, he was asking the questions to get to know where you were. So he really was driving that process because he was making sure you were taking the appropriate steps to get to that end result. Right. And as a result, he's able to look at me and go, okay, here's where his critical thinking skills are. Here's where his organizational skills are, right? Here's where his communication skills are. You know, if, if, and I don't remember enough detail to tell you if this happened, but let's just say a department didn't want to do what I needed him to do and I had to get him involved, right? That would have told him, okay, his ability to communicate or to um, manage up, because these were typically people who were higher rank than me, his ability to manage up wasn't, um, you know, up to speed or whatever. So he could assess my strengths, my weaknesses. Right. Folks, imagine if you're looking to promote somebody. We've all heard of the Peter Principle, right? 80-20. Well, that, that's, that's, that's actually, uh, 80-20 is um, 
Oh, I thought you said Pareto just really fast. Yeah, no, Peter principle. Oh, I don't know Peter. Oh. Did he pay Paul? Sometimes. He robbed Peter. He was robbed to pay Paul. No, but he sang with Paul and Mary. Yes. Got it. Okay, go ahead. Um, the Peter <laughs> principle is you rise to the highest level of your incompetence. And it was a book, I think it was in the 60s written, but basically what it states is that, you know, you do a really good job at whatever your job is, you know, and then you're doing such a good job, somebody says, I want to promote you. Uh -huh. You're not qualified for that job. So you get promoted, and because you don't have the skills for that job, you flail around, and you never go above that, but you don't get back to the job that you did good at. You stay at this job you're incompetent at. So you rise to the highest level of your incompetency. Once you've hit that level of incompetency, you don't get promoted anymore, but you're stuck doing a job you're no good at. Mm. Right? Mm. So that's the Peter principle. And one way to avoid that is instead of having people step up to a new job, you have them step into it by delegating aspects of that job early. Seeing where their strengths are, seeing where the weaknesses are, and then shoring up their strengths either through training or if you promote them, you put them, team them up with somebody, maybe it's an administrative assistant or somebody who can support them in the areas where they're not at their best. Yes. And this is especially true in moving people into leadership roles, because often they're really good at the task that their new team will do, but they don't have those people skills. And so by giving up a little bit of that control to allow them to learn, you're creating a succession plan where your team can be successful now and when you move out of your role because you're ready to take that next promotion. We used to see this in the Navy all the time when we would promote people to first-class petty officer, which is E6. It's equivalent to a staff sergeant in uh, Army and Marine Corps, and I have no idea what the Air Force ranks are because they have really screwy ranks. I'm sure they say the same about the Navy, by the way, you know. But it's it's a management or supervisory, not management, it's a supervisory position. You're in charge of a shop in the Navy. And usually the guys promoted are the best second-class petty officers who are the really good hands-on mechanics. So they're really good at doing the work. And all of a sudden, they have to supervise the work. And, and the big challenge they always run into is those delegating and getting their – because their job now is to get their second-class petty officers as good as they were. Mm -hmm. And they want to do the work initially at first. Yep. And some people are – they're like, you know what? No, I've, I've had a lot of people step down from leadership positions saying, I've tried, I've learned, and I don't want to <laughs> – I don't want to deal with people. <laughs> Yeah. And that's a great thing to recognize. We all want a promotion. We all want more money. But sometimes the task is not what we want to do. And that's exactly right. And so this is about, you know, it was um, uh, good to great. Um, why am I blanking on the author's name? I always, uh, Jim Collins and uh, oh, who's this co-author? At any rate, talks about not just getting the right people on the bus, right? So that's having hiring the good people, but then putting them in the right seat in the bus making sure they're doing the thing they're meant to do. Mm -hmm. Yep. And all of this delegation requires trust. And we talk about trust a lot here. And when I delegate, I am trusting you to do the work, but I'm also checking in with you to make sure you're going. Right. Which goes yep. to Ronald Reagan's famous quote, trust, but verify. Yes, exactly. Make sure that they're on.
Right. Now, the, the, go ahead. The, the trust, by the way, comes from the verification, right? At some point, you stop verifying when you've done it enough time and you're like, I, I know you got this. Yeah, exactly. But you're never going to get there unless you give up a little bit of that control, share that trust with the other person. But you talked about intrinsic rewards. The value of that with somebody's internal motivation is incredible. When you trust me, when you give me a task to learn, I feel like you're supporting me and you're allowing me to learn and you're allowing me to you know, utilize my strengths and make my weaknesses stronger. Holy cow, I feel empowered. I feel like I belong here and I'm making a difference. And if you're ha if you're struggling, folks, with holding on to your top performers, and right now that's a big problem. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine, a guy I play hockey with, and he works for a, a good sized company here, and he's being recruited by a couple two other companies who are looking to steal him away. Mm -hmm. And he's going to go. They're putting together a sweetheart package for him. I will tell you right now that if they if people feel empowered. By you, they feel trusted by you. They know that their work is being honored by you. I'm not saying it's impossible to woo them away, but it's going to cost a whole heck of a lot more money because those things are worth a bazillion, gazillion dollars. Mm -hmm. Feeling good about where you work is incredibly valuable. And as everybody's, yeah, I just spoke to a Marilodge Group, which is a large hotel franchise ownership group here in Michigan. Um, and they're having huge staff shortages. And what I talked about was leadership people want to follow. If they feel like they belong, they feel like they're valued, they feel like they're being developed, they're going to want to show up to work and they're going to want to stay with your group. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You nailed that. Awesome. Well, I think we've uh, really covered this one pretty well. What do you think? There's one other area that giving up control, I think, is, is effective in building your connection with teams, building their desire to take part, and that's involving people in decision-making. Mm. You know, that we could probably spend a half hour on that. We could but, spend a whole episode there. Yeah, and maybe we should do that, but you are absolutely correct. Right? When you, and, and the short course here, is when you involve them in the decision they own, even if the decision isn't the one they come to, right? No, you have to override their decision. If you involve them, they will own it. Yes. They had a little bit of control in the creation of whatever it is. They're going to own it. Yeah. I, I think I've told this story before. It's worth telling again. When uh, Priority Moving, the moving company I ran, got sold, and I was the president, but not the owner. So I didn't, it wasn't my sale. And I stayed on as GM. I like overnight, I went from president to general manager. But I answered to an executive VP who was EVP for the parent company. And, and they, and I mean, it was like a forklift change of every system we had overnight, massive with almost no training. I didn't want to go into the stupid business decision that was because the reason they bought us was because our systems had us dominating the local moving market. And then they changed them all. They walked in and changed what was making you dominate. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we, of course, ran into problems. None of our new team was properly trained. And, you know, they didn't know, they didn't understand the implications and on sort of our overall processes. Forget about like the what, what computer system we were using. That was the problem. They put new computer system, but that didn't allow us to do things that we would traditionally do that 
impacted our ability to provide great customer service. And so we became aware of a problem. I wish I could remember what it was. And I said to the EVP, I said, all right, well, listen, at our Friday staff meeting, I want to bring this up and we're going to brainstorm. She says, no, we can't bring this up until we have a solution. That's not the way we've done things in the past. Well, that's the way we're going to do things now. Six months after that transition, I think 80% of my team, including me, had mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and especially when there's newness and you're asking for change, involving people. And again, you can't unilaterally involve people and allow them to make decisions. Situationally, it will be different. But when it's possible, involving people in that decision creates that ownership. Absolutely. Giving I, I, up that control. I think it is more likely than not it is possible. It's rare that it's not. And there are times, you know, if, if the speed of the decision is critical or there's information that you can't impart to your team that they need to make the right decision, you know, and there's maybe reasons why you can't share that information, okay. But that's where having all that trust you talked about earlier in that trust bank come in because mm-hmm. I need to be able to look at you and say, guys, I know you don't understand this and I need you to trust me on this. Right. And when you've got that trust, they'll be like, mm, I don't like it, but I'll do it. Right. All right. Anything else? That's that's my list, Dave. Well, it's a great list as always. <laughs> Thank you, darling. It's been a pleasure sharing the mic with you today. Like Likewise. So until next time. Have a great week, everyone. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.